a lot of pressure, a lot of talk. So now we are in the final Three, two, one, here we go from the Play Normal Esports Studio. This is Pod BN talking to people doing big things in Bloomington Normal. Today's guest is Deb Halpern from the West Bloomington Revitalization Project. Before we talk to her, I'm going to give a shout out to our sponsor, Play Normal Esports. Play Normal Esports has special events going on, but it also has weekly events that you should come and check out. Two of them to keep in mind are Monday Madness. On Mondays, you can get eight hours of play for only 20 bucks. And on Tuesday is Team Up Tuesday. Bring two or more friends, and you can get three hours of play for only $10 each. So please come and support Play Normal Esports. And with that, I'll say hi to Deb. Hello. Thanks for coming over today. My pleasure. So let's start off and just talk about uh, your, your history and your involvement with the WBRP. I started my work with the WBRP back in 2008, so it really has been a long time that I have been working with that organization in the Westside neighborhood. And what's your current role with it? Currently, I'm the president of the board. Okay. So what kind of things have... So you said 2009, so it's been 10 years now. Yes. So tell me about some of the things you've been involved in. Well, maybe let's just go back to the beginning. What's the... How did this uh, idea and this project start up? Yeah, the WBRP started with a small group of neighbors and other stakeholders including Valerie Dumser, who lives just down the street from where the WBRP office is now. So she uh, was part of a small group that really wanted to bring attention to the West Side neighborhood and, you know, give a voice to the neighbors there and say, we need to reinvest in this area, you know, kind of alert, come on, folks, let's do something here. And so she was really one of the, the champions for making sure people started paying attention to this part of town in a different way. So I joined that task force back in 2008, and there were a lot of us around the table from from the city and from the Economic Development Council and from State Farm and from a lot of nonprofits and churches and neighbors, you know, most importantly, all coming together to talk about what really mattered and what was important to them. And from there, the group kind of evolved and a small group of us really stuck with it and thought it was important to give those ideas some momentum and wanting to make sure that they weren't just lost, you know, that it was nice to have a group of people come together, but nothing was really going to happen. We wanted to make sure that we, that we stuck with it because we wanted the neighborhood to know that when you step up and you say, this matters to me, I, I want to see this change happen, or I'm concerned about my neighborhood, or I have this brilliant idea that I really want to, to bring to fruition, that we, gave, um, that we gave those kinds of things some energy and some investment. What were the kind of themes that came out of that? Well, the very first thing that we did was we started a community garden. So Valerie is a gardener. I know nothing about gardening. She laughs at me all the time. Um, and the city gave us some property and said, well, here you go. It used to be an old office building, but if you think you can turn it around and make it a garden. And it was a really successful first project and community gardens are a really successful way to bring neighborhoods together. You know, that there's growing and 
uh, on a lot of levels, right? So you're growing yeah. carrots, but you're also growing good connections between people. Is that what it sounds like, a, like a shared plot of land that people can grow vegetables in? And... Right, exactly. Okay. Yep. So there's, um, you can, you know, and especially in a neighborhood that has a lot of renters, I think, you know, even if you change your address, you can still keep your same garden plot, which is really nice. And you might not put a lot of work into putting a garden in an apartment building where you don't know how long you're going to be there. But even if you move, your garden plot stays. So that's been really nice to see some of the same folks that started gardening with us a long time ago have stuck with us. Yeah. So that's that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that use of it before. So, I mean, you tend to think, oh, gardens for growing, like, food. And clearly the, the, the food that's produced is, is useful, right? And people um, take that. How do you decide who gets to harvest and collect that do people have like certain areas that are their responsibility and then they get to go what comes from oh that? right absolutely so the plots are defined and you you have yours mm-hmm. um and everyone just you know you um you're in charge of what you plant and people don't go pick in other people's plots you know it's yeah. yours so you, like sign up for it or something right you okay. do mm-hmm. right. and then there's a shed there too that has um all the gardening tools that you might need so you know if even if you're not an expert gardener um, there are people around that will help, and there's the tools you need on site. So it was a great way to show um, progress, and it was a great way to connect with people and bring folks together. Yeah. So you know, you can do a lot of formal programming. You know, you can you can do focus groups, and you can do surveys, and you can you can try and do this more formal outreach, or you can do things like a garden and just hang out, mm-hmm. uh, which sometimes I think brings different stories to light you know yeah, so it's more authentic it's not like this forced yeah like, let's sit down and talk about your right. ideas it's more casual or you can just have the conversation while you're doing some some work right there. so right someone's in their garden and they go what are you growing over there you know oh these are peppers what kind of peppers hot peppers green peppers you know and mm-hmm. so and these are people that maybe wouldn't have connected otherwise so you know, when you create a context for people to come together around something that a shared interest and, you know, for the garden, of course, it's gardening and food. And, and then, you know, it ten, then it goes to, oh, well, you know, my daughter goes to Bent Elementary School. Oh, my daughter goes to Irving. You know, what grade is she in? You know, mm-hmm. so those kinds of connections, I think, um, you know, might not necessarily be a planned outcome for a community garden, but we know those kinds of things happen. Yeah, yeah. And in a way, one of the more important functions of it, right, of, of getting people out and, and uniting them and giving that, that shared space to work in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it took a corner that, um, you know, nothing was really happening there. It was an old apartment building or, no, maybe an old doctor's office or something. I don't know. So, you know, our mission is revitalization. So we took a plot that wasn't really contributing much to the neighborhood and converted it into a garden that I now think does a lot for the neighborhood. Yeah. So so it has so that's still going on now? It's still, still going, going on. How yep. has that changed over time? So when you got it, was there even like dirt there or did you have to... Like, there was dirt. So okay. the first summer, so I guess it was 2008 was the first summer that anyone tried to to grow anything there and the the carrots were shaped like the letter J because the ground was so hard and hadn't been okay. <laughs> hadn't okay. been worked in so long that the carrots didn't even grow straight. So All right. yeah. And uh, so 
the logistics or the investment that goes into that, where does that come from? Like, is there someone on the WBRP that is like the community garden person and they're responsible for making sure that the supplies are available for doing that and for fundraising or how does that logistically, how does that work? Right. So, you know, one of the great things about the WBRP is Val was a gardener. So we started with a garden because we knew she would be our expert and she would be able to say, you know, well, you're going to need these tools or these seeds, or you're going to want plants, or this is the right size for a beginner gardener to right to, to, to have. And so everyone who was a part of the WBRP at that time just brought their expertise to the table. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Rick Heiser was another one of our founders, and he was the neighborhood bike guy. Uh, So when kids, you know, their chain broke or a pedal came off or they had a flat tire, they would go to Rick, and Rick would help them with their bike. Mm -hmm. And there are all these really wonderful people who live on the west side who have these great talents and things to share. And, you know, our thinking was if we took these individual people that are so great and tried to maximize, you know, try to lift them up and elevate what they bring to the community, we could wrap entire programs around the things that, that they know how to do. So... You know, you can build community around leaders who are willing to come forward and say, "Well, I know how to, I know how to fix bikes. I know how to garden. I know how to crochet. I know how to make pickles. You know, whatever it is." I think part of what I really like so much about the WBRP is people willing to celebrate what's what's really special about that place, mm-hmm. and that becomes a part of kind of the fabric of the organization. Yeah. Um, People who listen to this a lot will know I'm a big fan of a, a author named Chuck Marone. He, he he runs a blog called Strong Towns. Oh, I love Strong Towns. Yeah, absolutely. This is, this is so much aligned with with his advice of That's just right. like find a you know your 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 three step program. Find a problem that someone's having. Mm-hmm. Find the next thing and do it. Small step you can do and then do it. Yeah, right? absolutely. That, this is this is it in action. Um, absolutely. It's very neat. Karen Schmidt started the book bike. That was another one of her first projects. So Karen was a, at the time, she was the university librarian at Illinois Wesleyan. She's since retired, but she's still, she's the book bike wrangler. Um, So people donate books to Karen. She comes home and finds bags of them on her porch, and she sorts them, and she loads them into the book bike, which is a mobile, it's a bookshelf on wheels. And she'll go to the farmer's market or to after-school program, the Boys and Girls Club, and she opens it up kind of like a transformer. (laughs) (laughs) And kids come up and families go, are these really free? And she says, take what you will read. Take a book, love it, pass it on. So why is that being a bike important? Why not have like a book store or a book location? Yeah, that's a good question because I I think one of the things that's great about putting things on wheels is it helps us have access to parts of the community and be seen in areas where we might not be otherwise, right? So when you go to where things are happening, instead of trying to get people to come to you, Mm -hmm. right? Reach people where they're at, not where you want them to be. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, and we get to come alongside things that are already happening, 
right? That if you're having an event, we'll be there too. If you're having a block party, we'll be there too. Mm-hmm. So um, if you're having a harvest festival at the garden, we'll be there too. Yeah. So wanting to kind of come along thing, come alongside things that are already happening in the community. And when you put something on wheels, it just makes it easier. Yeah. And it's cool. Well, yeah, it is cool. <laughs> and it, it, um, it's also, I mean, I imagine the cost to maintain it. There is some cost, but it's not like a rent in a, in a facility, right? I oh, mean, yeah, You just right. have to have someone to know how to fix the bike, which you do because you've got the bike co-op. Absolutely. And some ingenuity if, if maybe the transformer breaks down to try to, you know, tweak that. But, right. um, and then someone who's passionate about it, like Karen, to organize the books and keep them up to date. Yeah. So, and so people who say, you know, I, I have my my kids have outgrown these books. What do I do with them? I mm-hmm. love that people think, oh, I should give these to the book bike. Mm-hmm. Um, so young books for young kids and chapter books we always need. And books in Spanish. Karen is always looking for books in Spanish. Okay. And those, um, those are not to borrow. Those are to have. You can probably. have them. Okay. Yeah, some people do bring them back. It's funny. Mm -hmm. You know, at the farmer's market, they'll read it, they'll bring it back and go, this was great, and they'll give it back to Karen. (laughs) Someone else can take it. Someone else will think it's great next, you know? Yeah, nice. Yeah. And that's all just charity-driven, that people donating books is where all those come from. Correct. Okay. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, the... You mentioned the, that bikes were a part of it, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know the bike co-op is part of what uh, what happens. Is that the right term for it? The, the bike co-op? Bike co-op, yeah. Yeah, is the bike the co-op right? actually yeah. started as a special event called Walk-In, Bike-Out. Okay. And some people might remember that event. And that started as a service project during Global Youth Service Day. And Rick, we had asked Rick, hey, do you think if we could get some donated bikes that you could get some volunteers to fix those up and maybe just maybe we could give away 20 bikes that day wouldn't that be really amazing and then the donations started coming and coming and Rick got more volunteers and we found some you know some grant money here and there to buy some some supplies that he needed and we gave away a lot of bikes on that one day and then I, it just grew from there. So at the the last time we did the walk-in bike out, it was at the Creativity Center, and we gave away almost 200 bikes 200. in a morning. Yeah, it was wow. crazy. So year after year, and then we picked up additional partners, friends of the Constitution Trail, and the bike shops were so generous with us, and Connect Transit would come out, and it turned into a whole year-long program. Rick needed uh, storage space and mechanics would come and we needed tools and uh, it was just it turned out to be this huge it just kept scaling up mm-hmm. and at some point the leaders of the the event you know it just it it uh, bike blono was really involved in it too said you know what we really need now we just we really need a co-op and other communities have them as well and so Dan Stedman and uh, some other folks, came to the WBRP and said, hey, this seems like a great fit. Does this partnership make sense for us? Does it make sense for you? And so we were able to uh, expand and add the bike co-op. What does that mean to be a co-op? So um, we continue to take donations, and the bike mechanics are volunteers, and you can come in, and it's $6 to have a mechanic help you with your bike. And the mechanics will repair the donated bikes and then get them back out into the community. So you can buy a bike there for a very affordable price. And 
The other great program about the bike co-op is the earn a bike program. So if you need a bike and you look at the cost of it and you don't have that in cash, you can volunteer and every hour of volunteer time is worth $10 towards the cost of your bike. So people earn their bikes at the bike co-op and that happens a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, and I don't think people realize that one of the most important services of the bike co-op is people need bikes to get to work. That's what I was going to ask. Why bikes? You tend to think, have this association like, oh, it's for kids to ride around and play right. and things like that. Right. Oh, right. we're going to, you know. And, and we, would, is, we love, yeah, case. right. Yep. Take, mm-hmm. take your bike down the Constitution Trail. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. We want to see that happen. Um, but there are a lot of people that come and they need to get from point A to point B or school to work or job one to job two and so they need a reliable form of transportation that gives them a lot of their own agency to work on their own schedule, and a bike is perfect for that. Yeah. So people don't appreciate, I think, how much a car is a barrier to entry in many things in the community, and how high that price really is. Oh my gosh! Um, yeah. And well, that's another thing that I would really like to see our community continue to evolve towards is being structured so that someone isn't required to have a car to right. get um, to the places that they need. You know, cars are useful for, for certain things. Um, but, for example, to not be able to access a grocery store or a lot of places of employment without a car um, is, is is very detrimental and exclusionary to people. Right. Um, and bikes are that that other secondary method of transportation, right? The bike co-op is so busy. Uh, They're open Monday nights and Saturday mornings. So Monday nights, 5 to 7, and Saturday mornings from 9 to 12. And it is it is always busy in there. Mm-hmm. So it's funny, when we moved to the space we're in now, we're at 724 West Washington, and we bought the building. It used to be the Jesus House. And we thought, oh, this is so much space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all of our tools and all the bikes, this is so much space. And mm-hmm. oh my gosh, we just... Filled up instantly. We filled up instantly. So mm-hmm. there's bikes for sale. There's bikes under repair. There's people trying to you know, do their earner bike hours. There's mm-hmm. volunteers assisting. Yeah, it's a, it's a hop in place. Yeah, so... In your view, to to stray a little bit from just what the WPR, WBRP mm-hmm. does um, on the topic of biking, what do you hear from people about things that would make our community more accessible for biking? Like what, for biking, yeah. Like what what could we? Is it you know bike paths get a lot of attention? Mm-hmm. And that's one thing, but it's kind of what's the what's your sense of the reality on the ground for people who use that as their primary mode of transportation? Hmm, that's a good question. You know, one of the things we want to make sure that when people have bikes that they know how to repair their bikes mm-hmm. and that you know that their motive if if it is their primary mode of transportation or something that they rely on a lot that They'll be able to fix their own bike, that they'll have some knowledge of how to do quick repairs so that they're not stranded, and that their bike is safe. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to bike at night, we want to make sure people have vests and lights. So we want people to feel that they can trust their bike to get them where they need to go and that they can do that safely. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes sense. 
okay, so we've got uh, community garden, bike co-op, the book bike, and um, so those things. Three things you mentioned so far are those mm-hmm. only available to like certain members of the community? Like, is it is there like a, a need to be like? part of the WBRP club in order to, <laughs> like, not the book bike, right? right? Or, right. Or, but, or the bike co-op, like, is there, could anyone bring a bike in? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. So um, you can come and get a book. You can come and buy a bike. Mm-hmm. You can come and rent tools from the tool library. Okay. You can get a plot in the garden. We, um, we serve the entire community. Okay. We're based on the west side, and we make... You know, our mission is to revitalize our neighborhood, but part of that too is bringing people into the West Side that maybe would not have come otherwise. Okay. Um, so we want to attract more people to this area, and people can see that it's a it's a great neighborhood to be in. Mm-hmm. Yep. Honestly, oh, you mentioned the Tool Library, so that's yeah. another one. So can you give me the history on that guy? Yeah. So the Tool Library was started by Matt Lalonde. He was one of my students at Illinois Wesleyan. He was an accounting major from Naperville. And he wanted to see a tool library. He heard about it on a on a blog, and he found there was no tool library in Illinois. So, and this was in 2011 or 12, maybe. So he decided he was going to open one, and called a lot of tool libraries and said, "How do I how do I start this thing?" And they said, "Here's the tools you're going to need. I'll send you the forms. I'll send you the inventory." Very, very gracious, you know. I think people who participate in sharing economy programs are willing to help other startups do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So we were able to bring a lot of resources together to get a tool library started. It was all donated tools at first. And, you know, I think we opened with 100 tools in inventory, maybe. Mm-hmm. And now we we have 1,000 members. We do 1,000, probably three or 400 loans a month now. Uh, especially in the busy summer months. So for people who aren't familiar with it, can you explain what the oh, tool yeah. library does? So it's a it's a library of tools. So mm-hmm. the same way you would check out a book from the library, you can come and check out a chainsaw. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there's a wide variety of tools there, everything from a you know, screwdriver to a... We got a lot of screwdrivers, a lot of hammers, mm-hmm. but we have tillers for gardens. We have snow throwers. We have lawn mowers. We have post hole diggers. We have lamps and clamps, and we have yeah. sanders. And what it is it looks the, like a hardware store? Yeah. So what's the? Um, I, th- I can draw conclusions, my assumptions about why that's a valuable service to offer. But mm-hmm. can you explain why? Th- the benefit that that has, the benefits that that has? Well, you know, certainly the West Side housing stock is old. And if you've ever lived in an old house, you know that the to-do list for repairs is long. Mm -hmm. And if we can help people get those repairs done by taking away the cost of buying a tool or renting a tool, you know, if we have it available to loan and that helps you get your to-do list done, then we want to do that. Yeah. and if we can empower homeowners, you know, and if people think, well, I could do this if only I had the tools for it. Well, if we can take that part, take out that factor and get you that much closer to getting your house to where you want it to be. Mm-hmm. And that's a really valuable service. Tools can be expensive. And we, you know, again, there is a lot of folks on the West Side who know who know how to do all of these things. They're incredibly handy. Sometimes it's just the, the missing piece is the tool. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, you know, and if you don't have, some people say, you know, they grew up with a neighbor or it was their own house that their garage was so full of tools and neighbors would come by and go, hey, can I borrow your, you know, whatever? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm working on this project. Hey, I'll bring it right back. Or, you know, that if you're not, if you don't have that network, that we could be that network. Yeah. And also space concern, right, too. Like if, if everyone has to have all of these tools laying around, then, um, you know, if you don't have a basement or if you don't have that's right a garage to, to put things in, then where are you going to put all your stuff? You know, and if you're a renter and you pack up all your stuff every year, a couple years, mm-hmm. you know. I don't know. Even don't if you carry all that heavy metal around, you might you. not want to carry all that stuff. Gas-powered tools. You know, what are you going to do? Just keep that in your kitchen? Yeah. Yeah. So we're kind of the neighborhood uh, garage that way. Yeah, you're that neighbor. Yeah. Who's got a, who's got a tool? Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, what I love about all these things is the empowerment that it brings and the encouragement to invest in the community like to spend for the encouragement and and the enablement of people to be able to spend their time improving their community in little ways too right addressing the needs that they see either in their own lives or or, you know outside and uh, because that's what I understand to be one of the fundamental flaws with a lot of quote-unquote charity projects it's like well we're just going to come in and we're going to dump a bunch of money on this problem or we're going to we're going to have a bunch of people from outside come and build this structure that that this you know impoverished area can use right and just coming in from on high and, and dumping something and then leaving you know it's it's easier right because you can have and, and not that there's not a role for that type of action right but it it like it's disenabling in a way to people. It's like the only thing that's going to save you is someone else from outside coming and, and doing the work for you, as opposed to you're able to you're able to make that thing that's bothering you better. Let me help you take that next step towards making that thing better. Which gives no credit to the strengths of the people in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. right? That mm-hmm. you know, I I. Um, teach a course called the Action Research Seminar at Illinois Wesleyan, which is uh, where my job is, actually. I spend a lot of time on the West Side, but I actually work for the Action Research Center at Wesleyan. And we tell our students, do do not come into neighborhoods and say, I see what's wrong here, and let me tell you how to fix it. Mm-hmm. No, you know, we don't do that. That our approach is, if you're allowed to come into a neighborhood, you know, what is your vision for your community and how can we bring value? And, you know, we embrace the asset-based community development model, right, which says if you see a community for its needs, it will look needy. If you see a community for its strengths, it will look strong. Mm -hmm. So if you can train yourself to recognize what's going right in this community and how do I leverage that to help the residents do what they think is best, then you're really talking about making sustainable change, making meaningful change, and letting the, the stakeholders really lead the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we have an association that mm-hmm. older places are 
more fragile, that they're, that they're, um, you know, degrading over time and in need of, again, like you said, I, I like the way you frame that of defined by what is lacking, right? Like oh, right. these, these buildings are not of the current style or they're not as well taken care of or they need a lot of work or right. the, the sidewalks are degrading or the roads are older. And it's we a very see all deficit approach, yeah. right? Or even when we say, mm-hmm. you know, what's, where are we now and where do we want to be? What's the gap, mm-hmm. right? Like something's missing instead of saying, what do we have to work with? Yeah. Right. And again, the strong towns and, you know, what's the next, what's the next best thing we can yeah. do with the tools that we have? And we have a lot to work with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that association of, um, defining it by what it lacks or viewing older areas as being fragile negates the fact that the older areas have been around for a while. So there's a lot of things that are developed there, either um, culturally in the community or physically in the space that have persisted over time and have been valuable to people. And so you identify those assets and you build on them. Yep. Or in a certain sense, the fragile areas are the newer areas because you've plopped a bunch of you, you've plopped a bunch of, uh, you, you buy a cornfield and you, you put a bunch of houses out there. Right. But those are only five years old. You have no idea what that space is going to look like in 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of fragility associated with that, where if, you know, the housing market turns or weather conditions change or maybe maybe the materials that were used to build all those houses, you end up finding with some kind of issue with them and all the siding falls off simultaneously <laughs> or something like, you know, that's, that is not going to happen in the older areas because that's already, these things have been around and have evolved to their current state. And so, right. Um, so I really appreciate that perspective. Yeah. You know, if you can embrace the character of old houses and front porches, which mm-hmm. there's that alone and big trees, right? Yes. That, yep. Yeah. You know, I love those parts of the West Side that, um, you know, if you can go into an old house and just, you know, the sense that there are families that have grown up here and that um, that their stories, there are things that have happened here. It's not a, mm-hmm. you know, it comes with all these interesting details, I think. I really love that. I, I like that houses on the west side of front porches and that those are additional rooms they're rooms on the street yeah you know that that you can walk up and down the block and 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 see people and people are outside and people are having conversations and mm-hmm. um you know and instead of driving are... into your your attached garage and disappearing and <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> that always actually feels a little creepy to me well, and, the, and the bigger trees and the smaller streets and like it, it helps people be able to not be as cut off from their neighbors too right like you can kind of just you can look left and right real quick and go across your street and talk to somebody mm-hmm. um cars aren't you know zooming by at top speed got on street parking that kind of slows some things down and so you can you can have more interaction with your with your people around you which is, you know, it's very beneficial. Yeah. Um, you know, there are some, you know, some of these really beautiful old houses got diced up, right? So mm-hmm. now they're four-bedroom apartments, and so there's, and they don't have a garage. So there's, you know, issues with on-street parking, and there's some density, you know. So, I don't know, that's just, it's part of the package of it, though, right? But again, yep. if you think of it as, oh, no, this is a terrible thing. How do we, how do we fix it? Or prevent it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, it's an important discussion to have. But I also think, well, uh, 
how can we look at this as, you know, it gives us another tool to work with. Mm -hmm. So who are all the interesting people that come through here? And is there a way to to get renters to want to stay here. And it's a really, you know, you can buy a, a house on the West side for $65,000. Yeah. That's a great opportunity. How do we, how do we use that part of our community to have more people think that the West side might be a great place for them to buy a starter home? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was, um, I grew up in the Netherlands. The mm. house I, the house I spent most of my childhood in was, um, I guess at this point it'd be 400 years old. Oh my gosh. Um, it's an old farmhouse. Uh, it was kind of converted and retrofitted to all these different things. And so, um, so it was very cool. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, also very drafty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had clay tiles for the for the roof. And so my dad would have to get up there and, like, replace clay, clay tiles and oh stuff. Oh, my goodness. But, um, but yeah, I, I see the charm in, in older places. Uh, I love things. So. I really <laughs> like the old houses. You know, and the lots are, you know, so I... I was walking down Washington, and we were talking about big trees. And this woman I was talking to said, what about the wild strawberry in the lawns? Mm. You know, like, that's really... And now I notice it all the time on the west side, you know, that no new subdivision has wild strawberry growing in their front lawns. But the west side, now I see it all the time, you know, that people who've lived there a long time help you notice the details that you should be noticing. Yeah, my... um my kids always, I, I warn them before, we have them in our backyard. Um, I don't treat our grass at all. Yeah. Um, and uh, I always warn the kids before I'm going to go uh, go mow. I'm like, hey, if you want to get strawberries, it's time now. <laughs> <And they> go, <laughs> go, go quick, see if they can right. find any other little things. So it's kind of fun adventure. All right. Well, um, we're going to take a quick break here, uh, hear from our sponsor. Um, uh, luckily, I got Justin Justin Canned here so he can read off a little uh, BRE Law sponsorship, and then we'll be right back with Deb Halpern. We want to take a quick break to thank our sponsors at BRE Law for sponsoring this episode. BRE Law is there for you when you are injured or need legal help because they know when it comes to your claim, good isn't good enough. You deserve the best. To find out more about BRE Law and how they can help you, visit breinjurylaw.com. Okay, we are back. So we've covered community gardens, covered bike co-op, book bike, and tool library. I know there's a lot of stuff that you guys do with food, too. So what are your um, what are your food-related initiatives? So we started the Veggie Oasis maybe four or five summers ago, and volunteers go to the downtown Bloomington Farmer's Market, and between the last sale of the day and when farmers pack up to go home, we ask farmers if they have anything that they are willing to donate, and we collect those in these giant wheelbarrows and pile it into someone's car and drive it the whole six blocks down from downtown to the WBRP office, and we put the food out on tables in front of the office and give it away for free. Okay. And huge shout-out to all the farmers that are so generous with us and are willing to give us the produce that they have worked so hard to grow. And... So families come out to the WBRP, and they are able to take fresh produce home. Mm -hmm. And 
it's always a really fun morning and people go, what's this? It's a squash. <laughs> what do you do with this? Yeah. You know, or, oh, you just slice it up and fry with bacon. I'm like, or you can, you know, you can <laughs> steam it or you can do. So people shout, you know, swap recipes. and It's pretty much most things if you slice it up and fry it with and bacon. And fry it with bacon, yeah, right. It's kind of like your standard. <laughs> <laughs> when to, in doubt, fry hard, it with some bacon. It's hard to make something worse by doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's been a really great program but we always knew that it's a right it's a small it's a small effort towards helping people eat more health more you know have healthier eating habits yeah. and technically the west side is a USDA food desert which means right that again some access issues of getting to grocery stores easily so we designed this new program, and I'm really excited about it for 2020. We received a grant from the John M. Scott Health Commission to do some research on a couple different interventions that might assist Westside families. So 40 families are going to get free grocery delivery. So, right, so maybe if you take out the piece of I need to put my kids in the car and get to the grocery store at 10 o'clock at night to do mm -hmm. groceries, mm -hmm. or I need to try and swing out there between taking classes and going to my job, or I can only grocery shop, um, you know, once every few weeks, so I can't buy fresh produce. I need more shelf-stable things. So if we took out the access issue and made it so that your groceries will come to you, um, maybe you would eat, maybe your eating patterns would change. Maybe mm -hmm. not. I don't know. But it's worth investigating. So we're going to do some research on the impact of free grocery delivery. And then we are also going to do uh, community-supported agriculture boxes. So there's a lot of farmers in town that have a CSA program. So you buy a share of the farm up front, and every week during the growing season, you get a box of whatever is fresh from the farm. So we're going to do that for another 40 families on the west side to see if we give you a box of, you know, locally grown, beautiful produce. Mm -hmm. will, will you eat it? Will you eat some of it? Will you eat none of it? Um, will you still have to go grocery shopping? You know, so all these different, uh, we have a lot of questions about how can we help families and we're going to do some research on these two different interventions to see, I don't know, and we'll see what families tell us. Yeah, that's that's fascinating too because, again, it goes back to that. There's just like one incremental step to see what's going on because people, I think, tend to think, oh, it's a food desert. Well, we need to bring in like a grocery store into close proximity here, and clearly that would help. But sure. a multimillion-dollar construction project involving a, you know, a grocery chain that has to come in mm -hmm. and is going to want – probably incentives to locate right. where the, you know, where instead of locating where it wishes, it's going to locate in a certain area, but then there's, you know, they need to be not necessarily bribed. I don't know if you use that word, but anyway, <laughs> it's just very complicated and you're dealing with people who are outside of the community. You're dealing with the government, you're dealing with right. um, millions of dollars and loans and clearing out a huge space and, right. um, you know, zoning and planning issues. And infrastructure and, and parking mm -hmm, and all of those mm -hmm. things. Whereas right? so, in the meantime, you know. <laughs> uh, right. In the meantime, what else can, you know, what other strategies can we be testing? So uh, Katie Bishop, uh, Katie and Hans own Prairie Earth Farm, and we're going to get our CSA shares from them. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so, 
you know, I think when families come in to the WBRP to pick up their CSA share, again, it's another point of contact that we can say, hey, what did you think of the squash last week? Or, you know, open up your box. Or, you know, what are these? What are those? Here's some recipes. Yeah. So, again, um, it gives us a point of contact to talk to families and build that relationship, which I think is great. And, right, if a family says, oh, we get to do free groceries or this free CSA program, they're going to come to the WBRP and go, what are all these bikes? What are all these tools? What are all these books? What mm-hmm. what are all of these things? And it's another way for us to say this is all this is all for the neighborhood. Yeah. Well, and that fresh produce is so is so different than what you would get from a shelf stable or frozen product. Oh too. my gosh. That's something that my kids talk about with their peers. Like my my children eat tons of fresh fruit, yep. but we're in the financial and logistical position where we can, you know, risk fruit and vegetables spoiling by buying lots of them, right? We're fortunate in that way. And so my kids are always eating like peppers and cucumbers yeah. and tomatoes and all these things. Yeah. And then they go to school and the kids are like, oh, I hate broccoli. And they're like, what? Why don't what? you like yeah. broccoli? <laughs> I love broccoli. You dip it in hummus. It tastes so good. And I'm like... they it's possible that they've only had frozen broccoli and like, let me here, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, get some frozen broccoli. I'll warm it up for you. I'll put it in front of you in a bowl with nothing on it. And you tell me what that tastes like. And right. like, it's pretty chewy and watery and flavorless. And I wouldn't really want to eat that either. I'd rather have, you know, I, um, I'd rather have a hamburger than eating that. And so, um, so just for people who that is their primary produce consumption kind of opening the the range of the palate to see what you know, fresh produce does taste well, like. Well, and like, it's it's nutrient dense, right? Mm-hmm. It's just it's good for you. Mm-hmm. So you should you should be eating a lot of organic kale. <laughs> it's delicious. And you know, if we can if we can bring that directly to families um, I just, I can't wait to see how this, what this program does for the community. Mm-hmm. So 40 families will get a CSA share for all of 2020. And I want to hear from them about, you know, hey, we actually love this kale. Hey, we actually really like broccoli. Or, you know, yeah. I thought I would use it, but I didn't. Or my kids hated it. Or they hated it at first, but now we love it. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. You never... Like, I don't do any of these programs assuming that a certain outcome is going to happen. I think we say this is a strategy worth investigating. Yeah. Let's give it a shot. Let's write a grant. Let's see if others are willing to kind of come along this experiment with us. Yeah. And maybe people go, no. Place a small bet on just... You know, put a little bit of money towards one thing, observe the results, and see where you want to go from there. Right? It's it's all an experiment, right? Mm-hmm. That we can we can know how, whether things are effective. We can track things. We have data. We can interview people. We can watch them open their box and go, "What is a kohlrabi exactly?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I remember getting a turnip one time, and I was like, oh, that's a turnip. And I was like, I have no idea what to do with a turnip. Like, I know what this thing is, but yet, how do I eat it? And it's it's sort of fun, too, to just figure out, like, how does one eat such things? Yeah. And yeah, yeah. It's right. a, kind of an adventure for people, too. So I um, think a lot of our community development work is an adventure, mm-hmm. right? That we go, I don't know, will people take 
books off of a book bike? I don't know. You know, if we turn this land into a community garden, will people want to rent these plots? If we if we offer an opportunity to earn your bike in order to have a bike, will people do that? Mm -hmm. So I think we're constantly trying to innovate that um, we try something and if it works, great. We try to take it to scale. We meet people who have talents. We try and elevate them and if things don't work, we quickly um, pivot. Yeah, and you, know? and you haven't dropped, you know, five million dollars into some sort of idea. If it doesn't work, then okay, you know, that was a learn. We we spent that money, we learned, and now we're gonna. We spent that money and time, we learned. Now we're gonna move on to the next. Thing, I you know? think there's a really great sense of um, try it and see, and then think really critically. It's nobody's fault, you know. There's no. No one's ashamed that something didn't work. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really a great kind of lab for saying, well, now why did this not work? Did we time it wrong? Did we package it wrong? Did we not have the right buy-in? Did we try to grow too much too fast? Mm -hmm. So I really love um, all the folks I get to work with, the community partners, the individuals, the neighbors who are willing to kind of stand around and go, who knew it would be so hard? Or what? That's working? That's crazy. <laughs> Look at us. We're geniuses, you know? Yeah. I like that people are willing to uh, come forward and be brave about a new idea and also be willing to kind of brainstorm and be creative with what what solution does that add to next, mm -hmm. right? If you can give away free books on a book bike and we can give away free vegetables on a table, well, can we put vegetables on a bike and call it a veggie bike? Mm -hmm. Maybe. Let's do it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so let's let's yeah. bag up some of the veggies and ride around the neighborhood. and Or a bus. Or a, a I don't, bus. You're right. I don't yeah. know. Mm -hmm. People are out on their porch. Would you like some zucchini? Here you go. Um, so I like that people are willing to kind of take ideas for a walk, as we say, and see what kind of energy it attracts and see, right? We, we think even our best ideas are only half ideas and that if we, if we circulate them and try and make the right connections, that someone else will bring us a missing piece or a missing person or the missing mm -hmm. half of what would make our good idea a great idea. Yeah. So I was going to ask you what you see as being the future of WBRP, but you probably don't have like a five-year plan, for example, it, given that approach. <laughs> you're, you're more focused on what kind of seeds can we plant now and then see how they grow. Yes. But, so, so our maybe strategic I'll, plan says keep being awesome. Okay. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so maybe I should rephrase the question as um, what other types of initiatives do you have in mind that you might want to try sometime? Well, you know, we have one program that's teeny tiny and it's well that's funny it's our microloan program so okay. no pun intended i was going to ask if there was any finance type perspectives on this, well so. if you're going to dedicate to revitalizing a community economic development is an important part of that mm -hmm. right and it's something that we don't always have that expertise around our board so we would all go yeah we really need to do something with commercial vacancies or we need to do something with workforce development and we kind of look left look right anybody no not yet okay you know when we figure out how to do this, then we'll do it. And we found um, a microloan program that we found some folks that were willing to give us some money. That And Mid-Illini Credit Union that's based inside Mount Pisgah Church was willing to work with us. So we have a fund there that we're able to support a West Side entrepreneur with a no-interest small loan of $1,000 that 
we'll be you know, inviting applicants again in the spring. And we'd really love to see, can we support people who are making, you know, wedding cakes in their kitchen and, Mm -hmm. or, you know, have their special grandma's barbecue sauce that they're dying to market somehow. Again, you know, the West Side is full of people with great ideas. We just need to bring them to some of the resources that will give them the support they need. So this microloan program, I think, will be I don't I don't know where it'll go. Maybe we'll do lots of tiny loans. Maybe we'll wait and do one bigger loan. Mm-hmm. But I'm eager to see how that starts and kind of what the launch is like where it takes us. Yeah. You personally you you mentioned you've got a day job, right? I do. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I love. And this is a uh I assume this is a volunteer work for you. Absolutely. So it takes a lot of your takes a lot of time. I'm sure there's frustrating times with it and um, harder times and there's rewarding times. Mm-hmm. So what what drives you during those harder times to keep investing your your time and energy in this way? What's your motivation? Well, I I feel really lucky to be able to do this work and it's it's with the best people and it's it is, it is a lot of work, and it takes a lot of time, but it's very rewarding, and it's really it's really fun, um, you know, to be able to just to, to talk with people about big ideas who are willing to go, yeah, let's let's give it a shot. You don't always get to do that at your job either, you know. So it, this collaboration space that we have at the WBRP, you know, combining. Well, I have this. Well, I have that. Well, let's try this. Okay. Um, you know, everyone has that kind of creative part to them, and that it, it's a great place to be able to test new ideas. It's the best people. It's mm-hmm. really a lot of fun. Okay. So if people want to help out, mm-hmm. mention a lot of opportunities for people to volunteer with yep. things, right? Um, I assume also financial um support is always appreciated yes um, you're not like a you're not a wing of the city of bloomington right we are you, not. Get all this, <laughs> you get all this sweet municipal funding for everything you do. <laughs> no yeah, so you're mostly relying on donations and grants to do everything yes yeah, so we do get some support through the community development block grant which mm-hmm. is great because mm-hmm. and of course you know we're in an area of town that um i think the city has interest in so that that has been a, a great support to us. We write a lot of grants, which is nice to have um, support from Illinois Prairie Community Foundation. Right when when you get local folks supporting your local outreach, that feels like a great partnership. And we have a lot of really generous individual donors that assist us. So, you know, we like the families we serve. We can do a lot with not a lot of money. But we do have a mortgage to pay, and mm-hmm. it is important for us to do fundraising and for people to kind of to get behind our mission. We really appreciate that kind of support from the community. Yeah. I'll just put a plug in for anyone working at State Farm. My, my team recently volunteered at the tool library trying to organize a bunch of the tools and oh, move some stuff out of a thank shed. Thank you, yeah. And so doing that as a team activity is... It, it's a great way to bring your team together. But then also the Good Neighbor Grant through State Farm has been recently changed where it's not just an individual person. Um, 
So it used to be that if someone donated 40 hours of their time, then right. there was a $500 grant to the organization. Right. It's been expanded as of this year where now if the whole if, – if your team does that for a combined total of 40 hours, there's another one you're eligible for too. And right. so if you can get you know 20 people together to do two hours of work, then that also comes along with the $500 uh, grant for it. So for this or any other organization in town, it's a great opportunity for State Farm folks to – to do something good. And State Farm will also match cash donations. It's true. Yep. Which good which point. is great. So, mm-hmm. right, there's multi-tiers of State Farm support for the community. And we are, it is, it makes a big difference in our budget because our budget is small. So even $500 can go a really long yep. way. So something for listeners to think about with that. Yeah, thanks. And then I'd also assume if somebody's got an idea that they want to try that you're always looking for new ideas too. Right? Absolutely. And we invite people to come to the space, right? So we're at 724 West Washington, Washington and Allen. And we did a mural this uh, summer. Doug DeLong painted these gigantic sunflowers on the side of the building. And Dan Turkla, one of our bike co-op mechanics, built this crazy dome out of bike rims. Um, so it looks like a big geodesic dome. It looks like an igloo made out of bike rims. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And that's in our side yard. So if you've driven down Washington and seen those two things, that is our building. So the co-op, the tools, the the books. We have a seed library. Um, we didn't even talk about the bed blitz today and the workshop well, that we have ask, to yeah, build those sure, things. I wasn't sure if the bed blitz was part of uh, part of it, too. So oh, absolutely. Talk a little bit about that, if you would. Sure. I did that once. It was really fun. Oh, did you? Yeah. Good, good, good. Yep. Yeah, so the bed blitz uh, happens in the fall. Families apply to have a bed kit, which includes a hand-built twin-size bed frame, a brand-new mattress, sheets, pillows, flannel blanket, homemade quilt, books, teddy bear, toothbrush, toothpaste, all for free to the family. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, we have individual donors that help with those costs. A lot of people give us in-kind support of those items. And we get we always get more requests than we're able to meet. We could only meet the request for half of the beds that we were asked for this year. Robert Bosquez and uh, Ryan Heron are two of the leaders for that project. And Robert's really fired up. He said, we're doing them all next year. We're going <laughs> to do them all. 200 beds, we can do it. And so the actual blitz is it, you have all the materials out there, but you need the labor to come and put it all together into the beds and package up everything. Yes, so. right. So the actual the assembly of the bed frames is what the blitz day is. And then delivering all of that to families is another piece of it. So it is a whole day. It's, you know, it's weeks and months leading up to it, just making sure all the pieces come together. And then the day of is volunteer teams building the beds and volunteers also driving the beds and the mattress. You know, again, you're not going to put a mattress on a bike or on Mm -hmm. a bus. Mm -hmm. So making sure that we take the bed all the way to the family um, so that they, you know, so that their kids have a safe place to sleep. Yeah. That's, it's a it's an amazing day. Oh well, yeah, I'm sure, and it was just one of those things that people like me with my socioeconomic status, I just don't even think about people not having a bed. Like I so I'm so blind to that need, and it, I, it opened up my eyes so much to think about because I have three boys, and I'm like, what? You know, mm-hmm. If I just didn't have a place for them to sleep, and they're either sleeping on the floor or they were all sharing a twin bed, or right? Like what? What that? means if I had to vacate a place quickly 
because of a situation. Right. You're not going to take your bed with you when you go. And so then when you relocate, you don't have a place and where you're, you're sleeping on the floor. And the difference that that would make, just that that basic necessity of having a bed to sleep comfortably and then be able to handle the rest of your day yeah, (laughs) because you actually had a good night's sleep. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Right. And if you have asthma or, you know, and your mattress is 20 years old, that's no good. You know, you just, I could not be on the selection team to decide which families Mm -hmm. we had to, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Braver volunteers than me had that, um, had that task. And, so Robert is really fired up for 2020. He said, we're doing them all, Deborah." And I said, okay. <laughs> but, and you know what's great is I think the community will get behind us, mm-hmm. right? That if we said, we, you know, we built 100 beds in 2019, Robert wants to build 200, I think people would go, all right, what do you need? That's, you know, again, it's just, right, we live in a very generous community. And I don't think a lot of people realize that we have kids sleeping three to a twin-sized bed, kids on the floor, kids on dog beds, kids on couches, kids mm -hmm. on the couch cushions. Just, I don't think people see it. Yeah. So when you alert people that there's a need and give them a way to help, I think people say yes. Mm -hmm. And they ask, what can I do? And when you tell them, they do it. Yeah. Which is great. And the people, it's also good for the community of people that are working in the blitz too because i got to meet some people when i was doing that that i wouldn't have normally run into so it builds community all over the entire area right for people too there's just so many benefits that come from the primary and secondary benefits that come from these activities absolutely right and again people who know it's funny people who engage with the wbrp come to us through one of these you know, they walk in through one of many different doors. So if you're a biker, then you know the bike co-op. If you're a gardener, you know about the veggies or the or the garden. If mm-hmm. you have taken, if you've seen Karen at the farmer's market, then you know about the book bike. And you don't understand that all of these things They're are connected. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the things I'd like to see is just that we could do a better job marketing all these different facets to our program because, you know, people that need beds need tools. They need bikes. They need a garden plot. They need all of those things, right? And people that want to help out with tools also want to help out with bikes. And so we need people to see that, you know, we're not a one-issue or one-dimensional agency. We do all these kind of – they look and they look like separate programs, but they are really connected in – what makes a, a community a special place? It's all these things that we have to offer. Yeah. Well, I could probably spend another hour talking about this because I find it <laughs> I, I find know. it fascinating. There's so many things but I know to you, say. I know you've got things to to do here. So can you tell me? Uh, can you tell the listeners if they want to get involved or find out more about what's going on? Some good places and yeah. opportunities to do that. So the website is westbloomington.org and you can read about our programs there. You can make a donation there. You can sign up to be a volunteer. The office is 724 West Washington. And right now, because it's getting into winter and we're not as busy with some of our programs, we're open Monday night, Thursday night, Saturday morning. The number to the office is 829-1200 and someone will get back to you. With uh, and you know, tell us how you see yourself getting involved. And uh, on social media, oh yeah, Facebook page. We have a Facebook page. Okay. 
I understand we have a Twitter and an Instagram page too, but boy, do I know nothing about that. So, <laughs> so we'd love a social media intern to come and help us yeah, with all media. of those things. If social media is one of your passions, then oh let them yeah, know. so well, great. We need all talents. Cool. Um, anything Thank you else for the you, opportunity. Yeah. Anything else? That, um, anything? Sorry. Editing point. So the last thing I'll ask you is outside of all this other great stuff that you're talking about, I'd like to ask about something else that you know of that's a big thing going on in the community. Someone may be working in a, doing something that is, doesn't tend to get a lot of recognition or, or attention that you well, like to draw attention to. One of my role models and heroes is Mary Campbell. And she and Faley Sebastian and Mary's husband, Hank, have started Dreams Are Possible to get more women involved in the trades. So they have renovated a building over on Olive, uh, on Olive Street, which is also on the west side. And she's, she's just amazing. Okay. So that that's a, that would be a really wonderful organization for more people uh, to know about. Dreams are possible. Dreams okay. are possible. I'll put a link to more information to that in the show notes. And uh, and I'll just thank you for coming. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So I do like to ask guests, too, the last thing. Um, you mentioned this is your first time to come in to play normal esports. Yeah. What was your reaction when you came in here? What? what um, I think my kids would love this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what about the space kind of stood out to you? Well, it just, it has a lot of, uh, it's a lot of lights and action, and there's a lot of energy here. Yeah. I can't imagine when it's, and there's a big llama in the entryway. There is a very large llama. Yes. So. I think that's a Fortnite reference. Um, <laughs> you may have heard about Fortnite at your house. Yes. Yep. Stop playing Fortnite like that. Yeah, like, like that. You need to take a break from that yep. and come eat this organic kale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're tired of them playing Fortnite by themselves, they can always come in here and, and play with their friends here, Absolute, too. So. Right. Absolutely. Yep. Again. Right, context where people can come together, community. Absolutely, yeah. It's been interesting to me seeing the the stuff going on here because, at least when I was a kid, I played a lot of video games, but they were very kind of an isolating experience where you're just there by yourself playing a one or maybe two player game. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of come around where now so much of gaming is being part of a community, and a lot of that community is virtual. But it's really neat what I see the the people here who are engaging you know physically with each I other. I really think my kids would absolutely love coming yeah, here. You should bring them over. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks a lot for coming in. Thank and, you. Uh, I think we are done. 